to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. As ever, I've got the most amazing guest for you today, and it's Nick Foy. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, Nick, you're the CEO, founder, and chief evangelist of Silverdale Technology, right? And that means that you are an expert at helping businesses scale through a use adoption, change management, and connected systems. So you're a technology guy, you're based in Seattle, and you've been doing this for over 30 years across multiple industries. So you've got an incredible heritage and background in terms of technology-driven change. So we're going to talk all about that, all about the importance of technology today in terms of driving forward businesses and processes and just making things more efficient and work better for consumers and why technology is really at the heart of successful business today. So if that's okay with you, Nick, we'll just get straight into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Fantastic. Okay. So, but before we do, let's just hear a little bit about your background because you spent a long time working at Amazon, didn't you? So tell us about what you were doing there and what you did prior to becoming, founding your own company. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I spent five years working at Amazon. I started working with Amazon in, in, in the UK and then transferred to the head office in Seattle 10 years ago, actually, right, and 10 years ago, almost to the day. And my role at Amazon on my last project there was working on what we called at the time ultra fast delivery, which is the one and two hour delivery service called now called Amazon uh, Prime now rebranded to. But we were building that on the right the early days in the first go live in Manhattan trying to work out how the hell do you do one and two hour delivery in Manhattan. You can't go anywhere in Manhattan in an hour. <laughs> so delivering products in Manhattan in less than an hour was, was a real challenge. And my part of that was to look at look after the delivery side of that, which was a huge component and it was great fun. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because I was going to compare that last pro project at Amazon that I did, which is one hour delivery versus one of the first projects I did in my career over 30 years ago which was with Glenmorangie, the whiskey company. Yeah. Uh, one of my jobs there was actually to look after the casks, the barrels that are used for storing whiskey in. And the lead time on that supply chain was around 30 years from growing forest and cutting down <laughs> trees. And then my last project at Amazon was a one-hour delivery project. So anything in between, I'm absolutely comfortable being 30 years and one hour. Oh, that's a big difference, isn't it? 30 years. Well, I suppose with something like whiskey and particularly matured whiskey, vintage, would you call it vintage? Or is, yeah, I is call that, it vintage. Uh, yeah I, it's all about age, isn't it? And it's all about that kind of slow maturing yeah. isn't it whereas of course in the society that we live in today we love speed we love efficiency we love yeah things to happen in our own time scale when we want something we want it right and that is really amazon whatever people think about it and i know amazon has its critics it's most definitely blazed a trail for 
speed, efficiency, and customer service. Nobody can deny that, right? Yeah, Amazon you kind of reset everyone's bar. Yeah. Uh, for what the expectation should be and, and continues to do so even today. It's still amazing. The consistency of what they can deliver is incredible. When you think of this, just the sheer size and complexity of the model, uh, even I've been out of Amazon for a number of years, but even now you can still see that core focus on kind of customer obsession is what they refer to it as. You really still can see that shining through even today, so many years on. But as I say, in the consumer's minds, it's this shifted, and I would say, what's re- I think what's really interesting, for, certainly for where I am now, is Amazon shifted the mindset for what the bar was for delivery for consumers. But I think also it reset the bar in a lot of instances for B2B as well. Because as consumers who works in the B2B business, guess what? It's also a consumer. And therefore, in your mind, you have these interactions with the likes of Amazon and Zappos and all these other companies that have great customer service and great delivery. You have that in your head, even when you're transacting on a B2B basis as well. So it's reset the bar all over the place. Definitely. And I think what's interesting is that this is really about, as you said, consumer behavior, because we all get used to okay, so we can choose something, we can buy something on Amazon, we can just do one click really fast, we can do it in 10 seconds, we can buy something. And then a few hours later, there it is on our doorstep. I mean, that just that would have blown our minds, wouldn't it, 10 years ago to think that was actually possible. But I think with that now being possible, it's really changed people's expectations across the board, hasn't it? And I know you talked, we're just mentioning the B2B space. And I think that behavior in that environment is now very different as a result of consumer behavior and expectations, which were obviously driven by that. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I entirely agree. The world of the old guys like me, I guess, talking B2B and B2C, right? Actually, the lines are blurring so much between those two businesses and business models these days. There are very few, I would say, true B2B models that can get away with a different level of service or a different level of interaction or a different level of data and availability of information. You, The companies that you speak to, even as a consumer, the companies have got their act together when you call them when something goes wrong. And the ones that have got their act together because they have all the information there at their fingertips and can be an advocate for what you're trying to get done versus those that you clearly know who don't, right? Whenever you get that kind of response of, oh, well, I just have to log into a different system to get that, then you know you're not dealing with a company with connected systems, connected processes. And it's incredibly frustrating when that happens. Yeah, and it is incredibly frustrating. And uh, yeah, I I was trying to talking to somebody about this today, actually, about this kind of whole thing of like a frictionless experience. And that is really what is connected systems. That's what's behind that frictionless experience. It is intimately connected, isn't it, to the, well, the brand, really, it is so important to that because it's all about brand is all about customer expectation and experience isn't it and so 
you can't detach the two, can you, these days? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I think the service is an extension to your brand. And if you're not looking at it that way, you're going to, you're going to be missing out. There's no doubt about it. The, I read a statistic the other day that 93% of consumers on Amazon are reading at least one review before making a purchase. 93%, right, are doing that. And so and if that service isn't reflected in the reviews, then you're going to miss out on a sale. It's quite simple, right? And What's in, again, another thing I saw the other day was that not only 93% of people are making are reading a review before purchasing, but 68% of consumers are forming an opinion on a product after only reading between one and six reviews, right? So yeah. forming opinions really quickly about your brand, your service, your product. And that's not just true on Amazon, it's true anywhere. You know, opinions are formed really quickly. And if your brand isn't represent, if your service isn't representative of your brand, you've got a complete mismatch there. Yeah, and I think what's kind of really interesting is that, I mean, look, I do it myself, obviously, I'm in that 93%. So I will always read customer reviews before I buy anything. And you think, well, you know what? These people, I don't know them. I don't know whether these reviews are fake or whether if I was to meet them on the street and actually say, what do you think about something? Whether they would be the kind of people that I would, whose opinion I would respect. But it's funny, there's something about the authority that's kind of given in those kind of online environments, really, that they do make people take it seriously. Yeah, it's the that democratization of type of information. You would never have got that before, right? We're so used to seeing on our advertising 4.5 stars and 90% of customers say they'd recommend us. We see that all the time in the way that companies advertise too. But there's something very different about reading real customers just like you and me. That's what that's really what you're looking for is that validation. Am, am I making the right decision? Am I taking a risk? And those reviews yeah. just, just make it make you realize that actually no, I'm not taking a risk because other people just like me have had a positive experience. Yeah, really important. And as you said, it's that validation, isn't it? Because really, at our heart, we are social creatures, aren't we? We do yeah. care. We can't a lot of people say, I don't care what other people think. I'll just do it my way. And in a way, that's kind of bravado because we ca cannot destroy our connection to other people. It's just innate, isn't it? It's We're kind of a bit like pack animals. We're a bit like dogs, aren't <laughs> we? We need tribes as humans. And so yeah. I think what happens is when we go online and we browse a product or a something, a service or something like that, I suppose looking at people's reviews automatically makes us think, well, they are in our tribe because they're interested in what we're interested in. So therefore, we should be listening to them, which right. is kind of interesting, isn't it? Just the way that the whole psychology works. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point. I think we're innately hardwired that people buy from people. Okay? Yes. That's how people buy stuff. That's how we interact. People want to buy from people. When yes. you can't, right? So when you're interacting with a big business, an insurance company or a bank, when you can't buy from a person, then you check reviews and you base it on reputation. That's mm -hmm. that's the reality. So if you can't if you can't look that person in the eye and buy from that person, have trust in that person, what have you got to fall back on? Well, it's reviews and reputation. Yeah. Yeah. So do you find that a lot of your work, Nick, is to do with 
reputation, building reputation. I mean, obviously, I understand connected systems. So, you know, you have to do the work at the back end in order to create that kind of reputational advantage, as it were. But do you find that your clients come to you and they say, they say, look, we really do need to build our reputation, become, be seen as the kind of gold standard in our marketplace? It, do you have those kind of conversations or do they tend to come to you and say, you know what, I don't feel, I feel as though I intend internal kind of efficiencies are not really what they should be or is it a combination of both it really is a combination of both most of most of our clients come to us really with a scaling what they think is a scaling issue uh-huh. is they get to a certain point of growth and it stalls right and they can't figure out well, why can't we just get over that hump and quite often that's just really a matter of, well, now you've got all these processes, you've got all these people now operating these processes, you've got all this technology sitting there, but none of those three things are actually working well together. And we, what we do is we really focus on making all those three things, making sure that your product or service is repeatable, making sure it's predictable, and making sure it's scalable and understandable for the people that operate it and are recipients of it. So we do a lot of work really on those four areas, what we focus on is we talk a lot about if you haven't, if you haven't got a process, right, then there's no way we can improve it. So one of the first things we normally do is we help our clients and we take a different approach to a lot of our other consultancies where a lot of consultancies would come in and sit for hours or weeks or months in some cases, mapping out your current processes, right? And I spend a long time doing that. And then they build systems around your own processes. And then they spend a long time trying to train people on those processes and try to figure out at the end, why didn't it work? And a lot of the times our approach is very different in that we've already established what we think is the best practice for a lot of business processes. So, and quite frankly, 80% of the transactions that every single business does is no different from any other business. Okay. Everybody buys stuff, sells stuff, sends invoices, gets payments. They get bills from vendors. They've got to pay those vendors. They have a bank account that they've got to reconcile. They've got checks they need to issue. They've got P&L report they need to get. It's no, guess what? 80% of that work, the transactional work, is no different from everybody else. And so our standard best practice processes really help companies to get back to a very standard, repeatable, predictable process. And oh, then yeah. once we have that, then we focus on the 20% that makes you unique, okay? What's the stuff that makes you stand out? Because if your transactional stuff isn't predictable and repeatable, you don't have time to focus on the 20%. Yeah, well, I love that. I mean, it's kind of music to my ears because I love things. I, I love processes that are standard, predictable, and repeatable because standard, predictable, and repeatable also creates standard, repeatable and predictable revenues, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, so it, 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 you, you cannot remove the connection between the two, can you? Right, yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And, and the other thing, one of the, one of the pieces of feedback we quite frequently get is, oh my God, that's gonna create so much rigidity. We need to be flexible. We need to go this direction, that direction, and we need to go focus on this market. So, like, okay, yeah, but guess what? If you're just gonna create and you're just gonna keep going these different directions without having a stable base of those transactional processes, you're just gonna create chaos, okay, right? If you've got a great transactional predictable base, you can do anything. You can make different decisions. You can be much more flexible with a much more rigid base. Without it, you're just creating chaos.
Yeah, no, indeed. Yeah. And I, as I said, you're preaching to the converted <laughs> here. I mean, I, obviously, I'm a marketer. So I actually have a, I'm working with a funnel system or creating a funnel system at the moment with a lot of systemized kind of predictable processes at the back end, which they are designed, obviously, to create those predictable revenues so i you're preaching to the converted and anybody who is uh, listening into this episode i'm sure will also appreciate the value of this because it just it's really the foundation of everything i think yeah yeah 100 yeah yeah having a really solid foundation really it gives you the freedom in fact to go and be much more flexible Right. Yeah. And to be a little bit more wild. Right. And I, I never accept the criticism sometimes that people will give us is that you know, the pushback that we get is, oh, my God, that's you want me to do exactly like that every single time? Yeah, I, exactly like that. <laughs> right? Exactly like that every single time. And yes, I want it to be boring. Yes, it has to be boring because guess what? Right. Processing a vendor bill, for example, that shouldn't be exciting. Right. Developing your product and going into the new market and finding a new client base. That's the exciting stuff. But you yes. can't do that if you're worrying about how someone's paying vendor bills. No, that's right. And I suppose it's kind of horses for courses. I think one of the wonderful things about technology and automation is that it does take some of the boring stuff away from humans because that's what we want, isn't it? We weren't designed to be formula repeating factories. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, yeah, but however, the technology never minds, does it? <laughs> that's right. that's exactly right. Exactly right. Now, that's, that's the process we go through with a lot of our clients. Is, first of all, we look at can we eliminate anything as part of this process? No point optimizing or automating something that just shouldn't be done in the first place. So the first thing we'll look at is what can we just stop doing that just has no value whatsoever? So can we eliminate it, first of all? If we can't eliminate it, then can we automate it? All right? Can we just make a system that's just going to do it for you? Okay. And if you can't automate it, then, okay, let's delegate it. Let's delegate it to someone who can do it and do it in a repeatable way. Maybe do it in a or near shoring model, whatever that might look like. Let's get that task delegated so you don't need to worry about it. And if you can't delegate it because it's really core to your business, then we look at optimizing the process. Okay. But only once we've gone through the other three hurdles. Yeah, but no, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. So so tell me about some of the work that you do now, Nick. So at Silverdale Technology, what kind of businesses come to you? And can you give me like a couple of examples of projects that you've worked on recently, if you're allowed to talk about them? or just Yeah, yes, absolutely. So most, most of our clients work with us under NDAs. I won't be able to mention the company mm-hmm. names. However, I can certainly tell you the industry and kind of, kind of the relative size of where they are. So we have customers across quite a wide range of industries. Most of our clients, I would say, fit within distribution, manufacturing. These mainly are kind of core client base. They're between 20 and 250 employees. Um, mm-hmm. That tends to be between kind of five fifty to $75 million of revenue. And they tend to be at that stage of, as I say, kind of that plateau of we're struggling to get in above that number. We're struggling to make things work over. So that, that tends to be the kind of point at which people reach out to us. Normally when a CEO or a CF is looking at the spend on how many different systems they're using, which can be quite horrendous in some companies, um, that normally is one of the key factors when people reach out to us and say, hey, can we get this all into one place? Or we're dropping the ball on certain things and service levels are starting to deteriorate. And so that tends to be when people get us involved. It's when things are starting to go wrong. 
<laughs> so unfortunately, we don't tend to. People don't tend to reach out to us when everything's going fine. We're normally coming into a, a fairly volatile situation, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> So it's, and our clients, I'll give you a couple of examples. We've got a client down in Georgia in Atlanta who came to us just over a year ago, tried to implement some, a business system with another another consulting company and didn't go well. And then they came to us and we basically stripped out a whole load of system customization that they did, which quite frankly, they didn't need. And we gave them our standard business processes to operate to. And now we're really focused on the things that make them unique. And a year down the line, we're now focused on that stuff, but it does take that long in a lot of circumstances, just because implementing the system is the fairly easy part, quite frankly, the technology is already there in the majority of cases. The issue is really business process design and user adoption and change management is where a lot of the focus is, quite frankly. Okay, so let's talk about that. So business process design, user and change management. So so obviously you bring in the systems, you set up the systems, that's all good. So what happens in terms of resistance? I suppose resistance to using them. I suppose that's where that's where the sophistication kind of comes in, is it? Yeah. Yes, yes, it absolutely is. And as I say, implementing the system is relatively easy part, right? In most cases, it is just a case of an installation or it's a cloud login or something, right? But the hard part is really getting people to buy in. The model that we use here at Silverdale, we have certified change management experts. We use ProSci for that. And we they have a model called ADCAR. We use a lot for our change management models. So and that, that ADCAR model, it's pretty well known. You can search from Google. I'm sure people will be able to do that themselves. But you know, a big part of the ADCAR model is about realizing that when you're moving a company through change management, a change management process, actually you're not moving a company at all, right? You're actually moving each individual through their own change management process. Okay? Yeah. That makes everyone's going to progress at different stages, different levels. Everyone's got different questions, different concerns. And what we tend to see in companies that do have a change management model, it tends to be too corp- corporate-based and company, and it isn't a good fit for individuals. So we spend a lot of time on-site with the people who are going to use the new systems to really sit with them and understand those concerns and to help them get over those, those, those humps. And going through the ADCAR model really helps us to do that. Oh, that's really interesting. So I would imagine that it's also about different people having different skill sets, different profiles. Obviously, some people are going to be, they're going to find technological change easier to adapt to. I mean, I probably would struggle a little bit myself because I'm usually quite a kind of slow adopter once I get it, but it's not really my skill set or strength. You know, I'm more of a creator. So, so I think you're absolutely right. What you say really resonates that you can't treat everybody like everybody else can you you have to work with individuals uh, because otherwise people are just going to get upset i would imagine oh yes <laughs> oh yes people get upset and there's uh, it, people can tend to forget that that this change management and change journey is a very individual thing and people at the end of the day people are fairly irrational okay so no matter how many times you tell people oh this is better for you trust me it's better for you it's quicker it's better it's more efficient i'm just going to give you better data better reporting right no matter how many times you say that 
right? All those rational arguments, quite frankly, kind of go out the window when you start interacting with users. People are just so used to how they work today in, this, in the process. They're, they really are kind of set on, well, this is how I use QuickBooks. This is how I use Odoo. This is how I use SAP, right? This is how I do it. Oh, why can't you make it look like QuickBooks? Well, because it's not QuickBooks. So now, so, you know, we're not building QuickBooks here again, right? So we, so we have to really understand, well, what is it about this that you like? Is it the fact that you can see everything on one page? Ah, so you just need a different view to look at. Or actually, here's an alternative view. Look at this one. That's giving you more than you get today, right? So there's a lot of kind of individual interaction, one-to-one. Um, and I know there's a lot of people in our industry who try and do all this remotely. And I always think that's such a huge mistake, trying to do this sort of business change management remotely. You've got to be there. You've got to see the users. You've got to sit with them face-to-face. You've got to interact with their customers. You've got to see them interacting with the customer behind the behind the till to actually really understand what it is they're trying to cope with. You can't do that remotely. No, and I think that's what's really kind of interesting about that is you can understand why very techie people might think, well, this makes sense. Logically, I can do this. Logically, I can get people on Zoom or Teams or whatever and talk them through the process because it's efficient and I'm an efficient person. (laughs) So, um, But the thing is, people are, you just cannot change the way that people are. And we are emotional and we need to feel cared for, don't we? Yeah. And you don't feel cared for when you are just being treated as a, I don't know really how to kind of put it, but if you are just being treated as a commodity, which in a way, if people are trying to do things in the quickest and the most efficient way that benefits the business, but it doesn't benefit you, then I can understand that process would of change would be a lot harder. Makes sense. Yeah, well, you gotta give you gotta give people a reason to want to make that change, right? Just saying it's more efficient for the company isn't good enough. That's not a good enough reason for an individual to change. It's a good enough reason for a company to change, but it's not a good reason for an individual to change. You've got to you've got to build some desire with them, right? Just to be able to see, well, actually, if we can take take this away from all this manual work away, it frees you up to go deal with being more customer focused, spend more time talking to consumers and exactly what they want, go spend more time with the product, with the service, and really thinking about what you're going to do in the future with that. That's kind of creating that desire to free up time. Yeah. Focus on that stuff is a really key method that we have for getting people over the hump. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, really, because everybody values their time. I mean, time is the most precious resource of all, right, isn't it? Because it can't be, we can't make more of it. So, yeah, exactly. Such an interesting conversation. And obviously, I haven't been through a big change management or technically driven process like you have, because my background, although I've worked for kind of big media companies and advertising agencies, that wasn't really the thing that I was tasked to do while I was there. So but I have run businesses. And I do know that sometimes the helicopter view is very different to the view of the people in the trenches, let's just say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There'll be so many times where we've done a process mapping session with the managers of the leadership team and we've done a fantastic-looking process map and then we get to the floor and we say, hey, tell me what happens when they go, oh, no, we don't do that. I don't know. I don't, that's not how we do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is how it actually gets done. Like, ah, okay, very interesting. Okay, yeah. so this is add that one now. Okay, and suddenly you find a greater level of detail 
uh, and exceptions and all sorts of things that, you know, that quite frankly, management team, leadership teams just aren't aware of, right? Because they don't do that day-to-day work. Yeah, yeah, it's just honestly, it's just so interesting. I love it. So, so Nick, have you always been passionate about the power of, of technology? I mean, is it just been your thing right from day one? <laughs> yeah, it really has been. I was always interested in technology, even when I first started working. I remember kind of aging myself now, but when I started, I remember we when we implemented email in the company. So, and I remember how how kind of life changing it felt at the time going to emails, and I really enjoyed looking at how technology can actually free up time. That was really the thing that really fascinated me was how can I automate this? How can I make the system do this? And I I started tinkering around with Excel spreadsheets and macros and CSV files and all that stuff that I'm sure many people will kind of recognize some of that work and, you know, how you can automate that. And that really got me into the root of kind of the ERP, the enterprise resource planning systems, kind of that integrated business system work. And that's when I went into consulting and really working for a consulting firm, helping big companies to do that. So people like Kellogg's, some government work, people like the game group, and really getting them to really think about how they put technology, not necessarily at the heart of the change, but certainly being an enabler of the change. The old adage is true that you've got to put people at the heart of the or at the heart of the change. And technology really is a catalyst or an enabler in, in, in the end of the day. But, but yeah, my, my fascination really has always been about how we can use technology better, how we can use it to our advantage. And that's been true right through my career. So three years ago when I started Silverdale, it was a great opportunity for me to bring together kind of my 30 plus years. I've got to stop saying 30 years. I've got to say 35. <laughs> We're going to bring brings it all together from working in operations. I've worked in warehouses, manufacturing. I've worked on production lines. I know I've worked in consulting with companies doing the same things as well. And having that connection to the shop floor is really important to me. And I spend, I target to spend about a third of my time, in fact, on site with clients rather than here in the office and in the company. I need to spend time with clients to really understand how the technology can really help. Yeah, yeah. So so would you say that the nature of consulting has changed over the time that you've been doing it, Nick? Because obviously technology is very fundamental to a lot of consultancy practices, isn't it, these days? I mean, it's one of the big things that people always want. Do you think in terms of just the consulting world itself that you've seen a lot of change over, over that time, over your career? Yeah, I think I have seen a lot of change. I think it used to be, unless you're IBM or Microsoft or one of these big companies that can afford one of the top five consulting firms, the, the Booz's and, and all those guys, if you can't afford that, then I think for a lot of companies, consulting always feels like, oh, well, I can't afford the McKinsey's of the world, right? That's not where I am in my trajectory. But where do I go next, right? There, there really isn't an awful lot between the big McKinsey's of the world and then using an individual, right? Yeah. There's not an awful lot in between, mm-hmm. frankly. And, and there's some really good, I would say, kind of, well, we used to refer to ourselves as a boutique uh, yes. consulting firm, right? Yeah. And there's a number of us around, but we tend to get a bit drowned out by some of the big boys and by the individual consultants as well. But, you know, the advantages of using a consulting firm as opposed to an individual yeah. was you get experience right across our company. So it's not just me. It's all 35 of us in Silverdale that you're getting access to, all of which have skills and experience in lots of different industries and problems. And there's 
because there's very few business problems that we see that one of us now hasn't had experience of at some point or seen with another client somewhere else. And so the ability to draw in those experts is really important, at least for me. And we work we work with individual consultants all the time who actually bring us in to help them with some of the implementation and some of the work that we do. Because it's quite often smaller companies will go with an individual, but then realize that they run out of bandwidth and experience pretty quickly. Yeah, and when you're really only reliant on one person, as you said, that increases risk, doesn't it? So, I mean, I used to run a boutique consulting firm, but it was more of a creative brand identity. That was the thing. So it was obviously very different. But having that breadth of experience, it, I think it's very different. Whereas, obviously, the big consulting firms, well, I always think, well, they're for the big businesses because nobody ever got hired for, <laughs> nobody <laughs> ever got fired for hiring IBM, as they right. say, right? Exactly. But actually, I do think that sweet spot of the, as you said, the kind of boutique firms are really, they protect businesses from risk because of their breadth of experience, but they don't carry those kind of enormous fees and all that kind of complication, really, and slow moving that monolith really that you get with those very big companies yeah and you're right certainly the cost base is certainly a lot lower we don't we don't i don't have the private jet parked out the front and i don't have a fountain in the yard so we don't have any of that nonsense going on which is always nice for customers not to pay for that the other thing i would say as well is that one of the advantages of kind of us kind of boutique consulting firms is really the intimacy right of how yeah. we get to know our customers customers but our customers and we get to know them really well we have another client who regularly will invite us in to presentations they're doing to their customer about how they're transforming their company and the technology and the processes and they'll invite us in as their business partner on helping them to do that and that's helped us get more business as well from their customers so it's always appreciated but really the idea of it really is to show them that hey yeah we're bringing in some experts here some some experts here that are helping us to transform that's helped them win business with new clients as well so we're not just there to kind of solve problems and install software we really get to know not just the client but the client's clients and their and the industry and the pain points of their customers so that we can actually better advise them and do better and provide better solutions yeah that sounds really good and just in terms of your location nick because obviously you are in seattle i don't really know seattle my sister used to live in palo alto because actually her husband worked in sort of high tech so i've been there quite a bit obviously that's a very techy area it's the silicon valley isn't it is seattle somewhere where a similar similarly kind of high tech hub would you say on the west coast us Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. The Pacific Northwest area is full of big technology companies. You look at people like Amazon, Starbucks, Expedia, Microsoft, of course, Costco, T-Mobile are all headquartered in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle Bellevue area. So that's not a big surprise that we ended up where we are. We're, we're actually based about an hour and 20 minutes west of Seattle. That's where that is, though. So we're actually based in the town of Silverdale, which is where we get our name from. Oh. Um, so, but we, yeah, we're about an hour and a bit west of Seattle across the other side of the Puget Sound. It's a beautiful ferry ride. Um, from Seattle across the Puget Sound to get to us. So clients love doing that trip. We pick them up at the ferry terminal. Really? 
<laughs> so oh. we're up there in the mountains uh, next to the water. It's a beautiful place to be. And I hear that Seattle is a little bit like Scotland because you're originally from Scotland, right? So Actually, I hear that the weather is not that different. Is that right? <laughs> it's not that different. I would say outside of summer, I would say the Pacific Northwest is very similar. So yeah. summer, fall as, as we call it here. So fall, winter and spring are very similar to Scotland. But the summers here in the Pacific Northwest are definitely far better than you get in the UK. So but yeah, I'm Scottish originally. I've been in the US now for 10 years. I still have a bit of my accent remaining. Uh, I haven't quite taken on kind of American accent quite yet, but I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so Seattle's great for a summer holiday then, everybody. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, when yeah. you go out there, we can look you up, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, Nick, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today. I'm so glad this is actually the second time around for us because we had some tech problems, which I have to say did not come from your end just before you think, what? Tech problems? No, it. I'm afraid it was my broadband. So I was really looking forward to having this opportunity to interview you again. And I'm really glad that we managed to do it. Yeah. So I just wanted to thank you for showing up second time around. It's been really great to speak to you and what an interesting discussion we've had so nick how how can people get in touch with you what's the very best way for the best channel for you yeah best channel to get a hold of us is through our website at silverdaletech.com and you can go to our contact page there and reach out to us that way or people can also reach out to me directly nick at silverdaletech.com well, that's easy, easy to remember, isn't it? Well, thank you so much again, Nick. It's been such a pleasure and I look forward to getting the podcast out. Great. Thank you, Jen. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one -to, -one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.